You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2012 film, The Dark Knight Rises. So, you know, the Batman movie has just recently come out, so I figured we gotta do another one, because we did the long Halloween quite a few months ago, but I wanted to do this one because it's the wrap-up to the Nolan trilogy. Yeah. So this takes place, I believe, eight years after The Dark Knight. And in one of the best opening scenes in the Batman movies, uh, the CIA take this man named Dr. Pavel, and he has the uh, few guys on board. Mm -hmm. And then it's revealed that one of them is the big guy, Bane. Yes. And uh, it was his plan to capture. To be be captured. To be captured. Yeah. Yeah. And he wants to crush this plane with no survivors. And I swear I won't do this the entire show. But <laughs> they take over the plane, and then we believe they are heading towards Gotham. Now, eight years after The Dark Knight, Gotham has been in complete peace. We know the last movie, Batman took the fall for Harvey Dent's crimes as he went mad in Two-Face and started killing cops. So Harvey Dent is seen as this martyr, and Batman was seen as this coward and this traitor. So Bruce Wayne has hung up Batman, but Gotham has been at peace. There is a new act called the Dent Act, which gives uh, prosecutors and uh, the law more liberties to take down organized crime and criminals in Gotham. This has led to this amazing peace. It's very quiet. And the the, the subtext there is, as far as I know, the... That law is it's much more prominent at the end of the second film, but the law allows the police to do things that are unusual with regard to civil liberties and privacy concerns. Uh, an obvious, uh, uh, I think, reference to maybe the Patriot Act uh, in, because it was being um, uh, uh, recertified uh, one of several times, I think, right around the time of that film and so that, that that's part of the reason there's so much uh peace and security in gotham at that time is that law uh, even with those features is in mm-hmm. effect but as bane is coming to gotham and then there is also he's in cahoots with this man named daggett who is trying to take over bruce wayne enterprises and There's this big plan to uh, attack the stock exchange in Gotham. Yeah. And this sort of inspires Bruce Wayne. He he knows something is going on, and he knows there is is something going on around the sewers. Because Gordon, who is—people are playing to have him retire because he's, you know, he's too old-fashioned. We don't need him anymore. Yeah. He goes into the sewers— 
and he he sees Bane, but he is able to escape. So Batman realizes that something's going on. There's the big stock exchange, which another one of my favorite Bane lines is he goes in there. One of the guys says, this isn't a bank. There's no money to steal here. And then Bane says, really? Then why are you people here? (laughs) But So in that time, Batman has now officially come back. Right. But the cops who are originally chasing these, and they don't take the stock market um, heist very seriously, even though they're being told, like, this could have drastic impact on the market and everything. This could hurt a lot of businesses. They don't see it because it's not a bank. They don't really care. And you can see how much they don't care is once the Batman arrives, they go after him instead of chasing after Bane. Right. And around yeah. this time, we meet Selina Kyle, Catwoman. Yeah. And she she's somehow working with Bane, but you can tell she's terrified of him. But she's also trying to obtain this piece of technology called the Clean Slate, which any criminal background you have will be erased and you can start over again you don't have you know that criminal record yeah it looks like some kind of magic thumb drive or something yeah it looks like you could just plug it into some computer that's on the network and magically everything disappears yeah but eventually so but they work together for a while but batman tries to get catwoman to lead him to bane and then she does and then bat and then she realizes he realizes she trapped him to fight mm-hmm. Bane, and Bane is much more powerful than Bruce Wayne is, and he realizes that Bane is also an excommunicated member of the League of Shadows. Yep. League of Shadows was part of Ra's al Ghul. We meet them in Batman Begins, and then Batman had to take them down because they tried to take over Gotham. Mm-hmm. They figured it was too decadent, too corrupt, that it just needed to be destroyed and burned to the ground. Batman stopped them in the yeah. first movie. But now he, Bane feels that he's here to finish the job. So he takes down Batman, breaks his back, which every time Batman and Bane fight, there's always Bane breaking his back, because that's a reference to the Nightfall comics. <laughs> but um, he's, he's destroyed Batman. He has broken him. And he even reveals who his identity is, because he knows he's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Now, Bane has absolute control. Around this time, also, we forgot to mention, there is a cop who knows who bruce wayne is um blake i forget his first name yeah i can't remember either but blake and he starts working with gordon because they realize something's going on and so gordon figures out that bane's in the sewers and this is one thing that's always been criticized in this movie his his plan Let's send every single cop in the city in the <laughs> sewers to go after Bane. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah. Then we realize Bane trapped them. He explodes everything, traps the cops under the sewers. Right. But it also gains access to they found out where Wayne's Enterprises tech and all the stuff that Batman's been using. They gain access to that. Right. And then the big set pieces at the stadium heinz field in real life of a yeah. football game the mayor is now they, ex, they plant explosives in the mayor's booth he's a, he's dead and bane has now taken complete control over the city and he also does a great service to everybody by destroying ben roethlisberger and the pittsburgh steelers <laughs> i watched this like wait i'm supposed to root against this guy but anyway he's taken out and he's he tells everybody because he now has this reactor that 
Yeah, it's a fusion reactor now yes. that Wayne Enterprises had and Fox and and Bruce had been working on for years. You're working with this new woman named Miranda Tate. Yes, and she and Bruce Wayne develop a relationship, but Bane now takes control of that, and he reveals that with this Doctor Pavel it is now set to be a decaying neutron bomb, which will explode within five or six months. And he says, if anybody tries to leave or escape or get help. We'll detonate it immediately. And he said, well, there's one citizen among you that has the detonator. Yeah. And while this has happened, he puts Batman into the prison where Bane was. And supposedly he thinks Bane is the son of Ra's al Ghul because he was a child born in a prison. Right. But he somehow escaped. He decides to torture Batman in his prison by basically having a TV cable set up to CNN or whatever that tells him everything that's going to happen to Gotham. He is going to torture him right. and break him completely mentally until then he'll finally die. But Batman eventually realizes that he he needs to stop Bane, so he's in the prison and he's you know, he's getting better. The doctors help him. He has to make this jump that no one else besides this child that escaped from the prison has made. Yeah, climbing up a pit, right, yes. to try to escape. There's a big kind of, looks like a, a well pit, but it's much larger. And he tries, what, two or three times with a rope. Yeah. And then at some point, you saw this one coming, by the way, I saw it at any rate. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way you can make it is to utilize your fear, this one guy tells him, because it makes you more... Uh, it, it makes you more aware of what you're doing, and it, it pumps a little bit more adrenaline so you're stronger, so you'll be able to make this jump from one ledge to another on the way up to this thing. And, and he does, and then, if I remember correctly, they show flashbacks of the kid doing it as well. Yes. Um, so he gets out. Go ahead. And he gets out, and even though because the Daggett basically framed Bruce Wayne for this fraud, so Bruce Wayne lost everything except his house. The power is turned off, but yet somehow he's able to make it back into Gotham somehow. Yeah. That's one of the things also like, wait, how is he able to pull this off? Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't have any money or anything. And I thought if when they know if somebody tried to sneak in, when they just pull the detonator anyway, but somehow anyway, he makes he it out. He gets in, yep. And he meets uh, Selena Kyle. Kyle's having second thoughts because she figured that this was a retribution needed because Bane... Um, because Gotham's been so decadent. Also, we forget to mention, uh, Bane reveals the truth about Harvey Dent yep. and what happened to the Dent Act. He blows up Blackgate Prison, where a lot of these people were, and anarchy has now reigned supreme yes. in Gotham. And, and basically, a revolution is going on. Uh, Bane's certainly instigating it with a lot of rhetoric that, that kind of uh, is reminiscent of some other rhetoric, rhetoric you would have heard in the French Revolution. They even have the same kind of kangaroo courts that occurred during the yes. French Revolution. The scarecrow from the first two movies yeah. is now the head. And there's this thing where it's either exile, where you walk onto the ice, we let you go back, but you have to walk through the ice, but the ice is so thin nobody makes it, or yeah. we just kill you. Right. Around this time, Gordon and Blake are trying to organize revolution, but they get caught. But right when they're about to go on the exile to the ice, Batman eventually comes in and saves the day. And another thing, I I, mean, I like this movie, but there's still a lot of goofy things. Yeah. He, he points this. He takes time to you know have this 
bat symbol, flaming bat symbol on, on the bridge. The bridge yeah. You know, you have so much, only has so little time to stop this before the bomb goes off, but you have time to make that little art project, Batman. Y- yeah, you know? and, and also, you know, you know, Gordon's still on the ice there. Maybe you want to try and get him off the ice. What mm-hmm. do you do? You give him a flare and say, light the flare, and he's still standing on the ice. You know, you're, you're not exactly uh, keeping uh, Commissioner Gordon very mm-hmm. safe. Yeah, so, but eventually um, he gets the is able to freeze a lot of the cops that were in the sewers, and there's this big battle. He fights Bane. This time he's able to defeat him. He's trying to find the bomb and the trigger, and then the big reveal is that Miranda Tate, this woman he was in love with, is actually, she was the one that escaped, because she is the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, Talia. Yes. And Bane was the one that helped her escape, and he loves her, so that's why he's doing this. Yep. And so, but eventually Catwoman, because he was trying to get help, Catwoman kills Bane and then helps him this big uh, battle trying to stop the bomb. Eventually she floods the reactor. I forget everything, but eventually the bomb is going to go off. Right. So Batman realizes that he has to save the day. He has the bat plane or whatever it's called. He flies it out to safe waters, let the bomb safely detonate. Yes. And he does the sacrificing himself. Allegedly. Allegedly. Then we reveal that he fixed it because the thing was about that plane autopilot didn't work. Yeah. Lucius looks into it. He realizes that, oh, Bruce Wayne did fix it. Yeah. There's and, a funny little scene earlier in the film where they're, you know, he's, it's called the bat, if I remember mm-hmm. that correctly. And he and Lucius are looking at it and he goes, wait a minute, the autopilot doesn't work? He says, yeah, you can fly it yourself or something like that. So it's, it's referring back to that. And he had fixed it. Yeah. So, but eventually... Um, before this, he also tells finally tells Gordon who he really is. Yeah, which... everybody figures Batman's dead, but there's a funeral, and then Gordon reads a passage from A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah, and then, but then uh, Alfred, he's on vacation, and then he sees Bruce Wayne with Selina Kyle. Yeah, and it's because so, he always says, "I always wanted to see you happy without there someone else, and you can just lead a normal life finally." Yeah, and now around that same time, Blake the cop has these notes given to him by Bruce Wayne with all the neat little gadgets, and then oh, we figure out his first name really is Robin. Robin. So, <laughs> and that's how the movie ends. Yeah. The first uh, Batman Begins I thought was great. Mm-hmm. You know, Dark Knight was even better. And this is comparable to, I would say, like Return of the Jedi, the original Star Wars. It's the weakest of the three. It has some has a lot of problems with it, but I still enjoy it overall. I, it's, I'd have to say that too. And, and I actually, of the playing with the, the notion of revolution, and uh, I've seen some notes about this and, and things I've read about the film as well. I, I think I, I think this was all intentional on Nolan's part, but you know the, the, the little jabs at uh, Occupy Wall Street yeah. and, and movements like that. I, I certainly think that was there. Um, and the Kangaroo Court uh, was a nice touch, very very reminiscent of A Tale of Two Cities. You almost expected to see Madame Lafarge somewhere in the corner <laughs> there. Um, during those uh, trial scenes, so I kind of liked all that, um, and I did. I did like the uh, exploration of the uh, effect that being brought up in a prison environment, uh, where it is very predatory and a kind of constant uh, war of all against all, and, and little formations of little, 
as it were, tribal units constantly on the lookout for each other and threats from each other and so forth. The, the question the question the film uh, asks us is uh, if, if what kind of an effect would that have on a child brought up in that environment? And it leads you to answering the question, well, he's going to that child will uh, turn out to be very much like Bane, um, basically almost totally amoral. Um, he's willing to throw over people that he's conspired with at a moment's notice, as he does with Daggett there. Uh, Daggett's a little nonplussed by the fact that, you know, you, you agreed to work with me. Well, uh, Bane has no problem doing this. Do you feel in charge? Yeah. That's what he says. Yeah, and he's, he's complete. Well, I won't say he's completely amoral because we do see there is one sliver of decency in the man in that he does aid uh, Talia, the young girl who we think is a boil on all those scenes because her hair is cut, right? And she's wearing kind of loose clothing that doesn't show she's female, right? Uh, he he helps her escape that hellhole, literally. They're kind of a hellhole. Um, and that, but that's the only thing. And so the, the film then forces us to focus on Talia. Uh, and I, the answer is similar, but it's interesting in that she seems more refined and cultured than... Uh, 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 Bane does and you kind of wonder where did their refinement and culture come from if she had grown up in that hell well of course she escaped I'm, I'm guessing she was about 10 to 12 years old when she escaped so wherever she went uh, she I think learned to take on the guise of refinement and culture because she also internalized the goals of Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows, which is kind of a strange utopian uh, goal they have. They, they they see not only Gotham. Gotham seems to be picked on all the time, by the way. But yeah. Yeah, Gotham is kind of representative, I think, for modern culture. I guess, in particular, Western culture in the in the view of the League. They see it as hopefully hopelessly corrupt. They see the the corporate side of the world is being uh, primarily only interested in its own profits. There, there are no, they don't see Wall Street as anything that does anything of social value. It's just, it just makes money for stockholders. And of course, that's a rather kind of jejun and simplistic view of things. Um, corporations do a great deal of good for the world, and I think Bruce Wayne is a representative of that fact. Um, uh, and that's also reflected in, in, in the fact that they do hearken back to the French Revolution. They had similar views during the, the Jacobins, for instance, had similar views uh, to, of the commercial world. Uh, so well, and the French going, royalty too. Yeah, and, and the the French royalty admittedly was was not good, <laughs> but uh, you know there was a whole kind of host of what later became socialist and communist thought behind it that said capitalism itself or, or doing things for profit was itself inherently bad. Uh, so you see all that going on. She's internalized that, so she realizes the best way to affect a revolution or get rid of that mode of social organization is to attack it from the inside. 
And that's a very Ra's al Ghul kind of thing. Secret, conspiracy, uh, take down the world from the inside. And they're, uh, of course, targeting Gotham as the first step in this process. So I kind of liked all that. It's it's not really very explicit, even when he's giving his speech there in front of the Gotham Stock Exchange. Um, but it's there, right? And, and he works up the, the, the ill-informed uh, uh, populace that's in the football stadium and also uh, in front of that building with this kind of rhetoric. And uh, you see the results. You see the results. You've got a city that's being... Uh, uh, not really governed, but uh, uh, kind of suppressed and kept down and run with an iron fist by a mob. Uh, a mob. Anarchy, pretty much. It's not even anarchy. I mean, they are keeping order to a degree, but it is the order of terror. Terror is the primary uh, uh means and you you see a couple of times that people don't know when they will be taken by these mobs and taken to the kangaroo courts and so forth and again that's a lot like the uh, that phase of the french revolution where there was a damn near totally a revolutionary and uh uh uh, terrorist uh quasi uh, political organization not even a state I, i like the way they explore that actually and how people bought into it. Yeah, and you you talked about it a little earlier about how, you know, this, we I think it was Selena Kyle who said, you know, a storm's coming, Mr. Wayne, and, you know, you you and other people are going to ever wonder how you could have done this while you have sat so pretty. I mean, this was just one year after the Occupy Wall Street movement, which I don't know if people, if it, people really remember it now because it was 11 years ago, but yeah. t- around this time, you would hear nonstop about this movement. And I was kind of wondering, because people criticized this move, they said it was anti-Occupy Wall Street, and some people, not just this movie, but the Nolan trilogy, say it's basically a Bush-era Batman, where even in The Dark Knight, people say the big thing how he uses to stop the Joker is this wire t- is audio surveillance thing to yeah. find him, and they're saying, oh, that's all the NSA and the Patriot Act. You can say the Dent Act is the Patriot Act, because criminals are being violated of their civil rights. Yeah. And some people say that the film is now fascist. Like, I, there was a review from Salon Magazine, and they said the film, Nolan's film is very fascist. It points the Batman, and he's authoritarian. They're going the extra mile, but they say it's always, to, in their view, to do the right thing. And Now, Nolan has denied this, and it should be also known that on the other side of the political spectrum, Rush Limbaugh criticized this film because he thought Bane was a reference to Bane Capital. So it is just like, so you got one side and then you got the other. And I don't necessarily think that the movie is like coming out and saying, it's, I don't think the movie is fascist or promoting fascist no, ideology, no but I don't no. even say it's, it's – no one's denied this as well as saying that it's pro this or anti this. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I think what he's, what he's done with this whole series of films is had us think about these things, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that it gets uh, people on the – and people on the right upset is an indicator to me that it's doing its job. Um, it is asking us to uh, consider uh, the question in a non-simplistic manner 
uh, in the second film in particular, of whether and how necessary it is to use unusual means that may uh, violate civil liberties in several ways to, as it were, monitor communications so that you can nip potential uh, terrorist acts or potential um, cyber crimes or potential biological attacks or anything like that in the bud before they occur. And that was one of the difficult questions they had to wrestle and contend with after the 9-11 attacks, because as information came out, um, it became apparent that there were, as in, as in earlier uh, periods in history, I'm thinking of the Pearl Harbor attack, um, um, there, there were enough red flags to where if, if one agency had had command of all of this information instead of three or four who had been stovepiped and disconnected from one another, it might have been possible for uh, the 9-11 attacks to be, have been prevented. Um, and so there was a, a very raging debate going on in the days when the uh, Patriot, Act, Patriot Act was being uh, formulated and eventually passed. And, you know, they, were, they took great pains to make sure that you had to recertify the thing every few years as well. Um, so I think, obviously, he was aware of that, and he wanted us to explore that. And I think in this last film, again, maybe he didn't intend to do it, but he, he was certainly had uh, current events in mind and not so current events in mind. I think part of the, part of the appeal of the film is the fact that it does harken back to the French Revolution. Yeah, and it's that and, point is hammered at the end when that eulogy is given, and he is quoting a tale from Two Cities directly. Yes, Gordon. and you know, the French Revolution had certain causes in 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 in, in France that uh, the the well-to-do and the royalty uh, certainly weren't paying enough attention to the populace at large. Let them eat cake, right? Let them eat cake, and. Uh, that that event, as it were, planted rhetorical seeds that were always used thereafter in other periods in history when revolutions occurred or when revolutions were fomented in order to give certain people uh, power. They would use the rhetoric that they're protecting the masses and so forth when, in fact, they were looking to consolidate their own power. Uh, you can see that in the Chinese Revolution. You can see that. Uh, the North Vietnamese, uh, their, their rhetoric is replete with it. Uh, no, 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 uh, that's no coincidence there because there was obviously a heavy French influence in, in, in Vietnam uh, that accounts for that. Um, and also in the case of the Soviet state, you see that similar kind of rhetoric being used, at least in the early stages of the, uh, the, the so-called revolution, the populace being swayed by it and falling behind these few leaders who are looking to consolidate their control and then essentially serving as the uh, enforcer, the, the mob enforcer for these few that are really in control. Um, I think he's wanting us to examine that kind of is it that, that rhetorical um, uh, paradigm and how uh, powerful it can be 
And maybe he is asking us, at least back in 2012, to look at similar movements that were occurring then and have occurred since then. And just basically saying, you know what, don't don't take things at face value. Don't don't just think it's a, um, uh, as it were, a genuine grassroots uprising. You always have to you always have to double check. It's it's wise to never be naive and see if something else is going on. If you're, you're being manipulated in some way by people that are trafficking in these simplistic rhetorical uh, tools such as corporate corporations do no good they're only after the thing after their own uh, uh, well-being and they're selling you a bill of goods right and that, that's certainly Bain's doing that for his own purposes and ultimately for the purposes of the league of shadows <laughs> so i think he's 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 wanting us to examine all of that, all of that uh, even in this film you kind of wonder if this revolution if Bain's actions was somehow, in a way, necessary for the truth to be revealed about Harvey Dent. So all the terrible anarchy that reigned, did it need to happen, or would have been would it be even worse to this endless prosperity for Gotham, but something that was founded on a lie? Yeah, um, I, I think the short answer there is no. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, no simply because uh, even if it was necessary that the truth be uh, uh, revealed about Harvey Dent and uh, the true nature of the Batman, right? Even if that's the case, you have to worry about um, uh, proportionality considerations Mm -hmm. and the means you use to reveal the truth. And clearly the means here are excessive. I mean, it's an atomic, uh, an attempted atomic attack, widespread chaos and and mob rule and... um, kangaroo court justice and so forth that's all too much to yeah. do you know there was one funny review and he was addressing the criticism of the, the occupy wall street and he said i think the movie is just trying to say is yeah the rich and powerful can be kind of stuffy and do some bad things but it's still a little bit much to strip them of all their possessions and execute them <laughs> exactly right yeah and you know uh, the question good is 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 well raised though i think more in the second film than the third but it's still there uh, as to whether or not Gordon and Batman should have entered into that conspiracy to um, portray Harvey Dent as the hero, right? And then have Batman be exiled from this city so that people believe law and order has, has been restored, right? Um, good question. Don't know the answer to that one because Gotham was in a bad state. I mean, in this third movie, it's an even worse state, but... Gotham typically is is not in a very good state. So the argument could be made that in order to help uh, help it kind help it kind of re reinstitute civil order, uh, maybe we need something like a founding myth, right, and a hero to look up to, and so forth. Now, granted, that's the case. It doesn't address the question you brought up earlier as, as to whether that truth needs to be concealed. Uh, for all time after civil order has been um, reinstituted, right? I mean, it's been eight years after this film. Maybe by then Gordon mm-hmm. can come out and tell He wanted truth, to in the beginning, but and then he, he decides not to. left yeah. that speech, but his speech was found by Bain, and that's when Bain that, reveals yeah, the truth. Bain reveals it. But, yeah, it, but I'll, I'll, it raises that interesting question at the beginning of the film. Why does Gordon decide not to do it? Why does he not? Is it a personal thing between him and Harvey Dent? You know, they were close. 
Bruce Wayne was close with Harvey as well. Maybe they didn't want to besmirch the character of their friend, even though he had turned into Two-Face. We don't know that. Or did he think, no, I still need, we still need to maintain this myth so that we can maintain faith in the system, faith in the police, faith, faith in the government. Um, and I know if I uh, reveal this, that faith will be broken to such an extent that we will lose the civil order. Um, I don't know. I think that latter is a little implausible. So I'm thinking it was to protect the friend. And it seems at the end, because, you know, everything is restored finally in Gotham. And now the truth is revealed. There's now a statue of Batman remembering the sacrifice. Isn't this finally enough for Gotham to have a longstanding peace and not constantly be in danger? You had the, what the events of Batman begins with the attack on the League of Shadows. What had anarchy with the poison gas, the gas that causes the fear toxin, people, and Arkham Asylum was running free. Yeah. Then you had the Joker who was holding the entire city hostage in the second movie, and then you had absolute anarchy with Bane in this movie. But how is Gotham finally restored peace, or is this like the League of Shadows saying, "Is Gotham beyond saving? Will there be another threat now?" Yeah. Or because of the big teaser. Is Robin now? This they've moved on. They're not doing another thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin or Nightwing as he became later on. Yeah. But will Robin be there to take up the mantle? Because Gotham always needs somebody like that. Yeah, and they they leave it hanging on purpose. I think um, I'm surprised when I read interviews with Christian Bale and Chris Nolan that uh, uh, both of them said, "Yeah, we don't want anything to do with any more Batman films after this one." Well, you set it up for another one, guys. Why are you doing this in the first yeah. place? Um, but uh, the, the, it raises the, the interesting question that's also uh, that, that we're just talked about. Um, you know, they're setting up the statue of Batman, right? I think Gordon knows what really happened. I'm not sure about that, but certainly Alfred does. And Robin does. So they're doing the Harvey Dent thing to some extent again. They're sending this message. This guy is dead. He is a hero. He sacrificed himself to save Gotham. Uh, so we're setting up the statue, knowing full well, no, he's down in the Caribbean or wherever Alfred yeah, goes Europe, on his Europe vacations. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, he's he and Catwoman have retired, and they're going to sit on the beach the rest of their lives, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you making the same mistake again, generating a falsehood, kind of a mythic falsehood in order to preserve society? Are you setting yourself up for yet another cycle in that sine wave? Where uh, something's going to happen, some other bad guy's going to show up. And, and, and we never see Scarecrow taken out. Yeah, that's right. We never yeah. see Scarecrow taken out. And certainly the League is not totally taken out either. Uh, so uh, there's, certainly, it, there's certainly space there to continue this story. But uh, Nolan isn't going to do it. Yeah, and uh, so obviously the reason, before we start wrapping up, the big reason I wanted to bring this up is because of obviously the new Batman and, you know, like I said, they're going with this new one, it looks like. But t- to give a little mini spoiler-free review of that movie, of all these Batman movies we have had, and boy, if we had a lot, yeah. not even counting all the animated ones, I would have to say this new one is may not be my favorite, but it's very, very close. I This as good or maybe even better than The Dark Knight, because I think... Like we talked a long time ago about the long Halloween, it's more of that where this is a Batman who's just had a couple years experience under his belt and he's still learning how to be Batman or what bat particularly what Batman 
is supposed to be. And I like at the end that he has to learn a lesson. And I, that I won't get into spoilers because yeah. I do want to talk about this in one point. Yeah, we'll have show. to do it. Well, but it goes into how, like what Batman is supposed to be a symbol of. And he has a certain idea of what he's supposed to do in the beginning. But that changes as the story goes around. It's really, really good. And, I, and, and apparently also he's, he's relatively early in his career. He's also learning the job in the more technical sense. Apparently, yes, he's more uh, of a detective in this movie than in any of the other movies, and so. that kind of harkens back a little bit to the uh, fact, you know, detective comics, of course, but uh, even harkens back to the uh, uh, Shadow as a as Which, a uh, who wasn't influenced by Bill Finger, the creator of Batman. Yeah, and if you if you read the Shadow stories, I mean, he's very much a detective trying to figure things out and using. The uh, that power he has of uh, uh, the invisibility, hypnotic uh, invisibility, uh, to play the detective. So it's kind of neat. I, I like the sound of that film and the fact that they're hearkening back a little bit to the the earlier stages of his career. It's the is. most faithful Batman to the comics of any movie. I would say even more faithful to the Nolans because it look Gotham looks like this Art Deco kind of gothic nightmare that you never really got from these movies because yeah. it mostly it's just Chicago. Or yeah, it's New York, and it's very it's modern Pittsburgh. technology yeah. too. So yeah. The motorbikes and the flying apparatus mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, we'll have to do that one. Very looking forward to that one. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. We give you these podcasts and give them back to you, the people. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, for each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, come now, doctor, now is not the time for fear. That comes later. <laughs>